And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us on the program today. We come your way Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We have podcasts, that's right, at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, and Blueberry, many other locations as well that you folks are reposting our interviews to. Thank you for doing that. I greatly appreciate it. If you like what we're doing and uh, you would like to support the work we're doing financially we would greatly appreciate that also we do have paypal and patreon links on our website so that uh, you can do just that we'll take any amount and we have those links for your security as well as ours we all will be giving you our guests website here in just a couple of moments so that you can continue your evolutionary process and we also ask that you participate in what we have been calling the decade of perfect vision the 2020s. So please do what you can to spend time, five minutes. Oh, it's just five minutes a day. That's all we ask of you to do so that you can get to know who you are and what you are all about. And uh, then uh, you, 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 get, you get guidance, you get encouragement, you get insight, all the good stuff that you need to get through each day. Uh, and I tell you what, you can trust the information. Uh, unlike uh, maybe some people feel that oh, I can't trust this organization, that person, this group, that individual, that source. You can trust the source within. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. So do what you can to spend some time going within. Spend some time in nature. And I know you'll have a great time. Today's guest, I think you're really going to enjoy. I know I am because we're going to be dealing today with a very unusual topic. I know that you're going to find it unusual. I find it kind of strange. Even though we're going to be talking about awakening through Trikaya Buddhism. I'm hoping I pronounced that correctly. Guess what? We'll find out in a minute from our guest, who is the author of Unreasonable Joy. Are you serious? Really? Unreasonable Joy? Uh, Turiya, I want to thank you so much for joining us all the way from San Diego. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Richard. Uh, I will share with our listeners the challenges that we have been facing uh, here in the last 10 or 20 minutes prior to the interview uh, in terms of technology. And, you know, I know people have all kinds of myths and ideas and concepts about it. Uh, and uh, yet at the same time, uh, things just happen. Okay. Things just happen, right? And you can't always predict. So you've got to find a way. And so I'm beginning to start to understand this idea that you have put forth of unreasonable joy. Because it would seem rather unreasonable for either of us to feel joyful with the challenges that we faced in the first 20 minutes prior to our getting started. And yet, did we not keep a smile on our face and we laughed quite a bit just because it was, in a way, comical, wasn't it? Yes, exactly. You know, have you ever had this problem before? Well, on Tuesday, when on launch day of the book, I had a live radio show that I was supposed to do. And, of course, my microphone um, started cutting out. And my Internet provider decided that would be the day they upgrade our service so they can oh, of course. cut off my Internet. Of course. <laughs> the synchronicity in the universe is just uncanny, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, we're here to have fun. So. You, you, absolutely, <laughs> you absolutely do. Unreasonable joy awakening through triaya, uh, Trikaya Buddhism. Is that pronounced correctly? Trikaya. Trikaya Buddhism. It's Electric Bliss Publishing has put out this book and uh, is newly released. And it describes the brand new school of Buddhism for the modern world and present day seeker. And you are the writer uh, and uh, you basically write from the premise uh, that the enlightened is the enlightenment, I should say, is really uh, is real and exists right now within us all. You know, 
I remember talking with uh, one of my guests some years ago when we were chatting about, for example, um, uh, awakening, uh, attuning. Um, what's what was the other word that she used? Uh, uh, sort of raising our consciousness and so forth. And she kind of made the same statement. This isn't something that you attain. You're already there. Now, does, if, does that apply to all 8 billion people? Or is it just a select few, and what's the test? No, everybody. It applies to everybody. But what happens is we get so caught up in our mind that we keep trying to get there. We're trying to get there. But there is no there. There's only here. So is it kind of like uh, Siddhartha, who became uh, the Buddha, that if you will just stop and sit down and stop seeking, boom, it's there. Well, that's exactly what he did. All night, he had to sit there and struggle and fight with all his demons and be willing to actually look and face every single one. That's where people get hung up, is they don't want to look at what is actually here. They check it out and... uh uh So, in light of what I shared at the front end of the program about this is the decade of the 2020s, and we are asking people to spend time going within. Decade of the 2020s, the decade of perfect vision. And the only place you have perfect vision is when you go within, when you look inside. Now, that doesn't mean that everything you see inside is going to be joyful and blissful. Um, What it means is that you're going to look inside and you're going to see who you really are and what's really going on. And you're going to get information that you can trust, right? Exactly. Where... Where did your path begin? Oh, that's a tough question. (laughs) You would think it would be easy, but it's really hard because as a child, I knew if I just sat and did nothing, I'd feel better. But then I didn't um, use that. I didn't have any instruction. I didn't know what I was doing. So I kind of just used that technique, which later in college, I found out that was meditation. and. Then I hunted for a teacher. I got very gung-ho, looked for a teacher, didn't find anybody. And then my friend finally introduced me to a teacher. And it was really after I met Rama that I started meditating every day. I started realizing that, oh, this practice isn't just about feeling better. It's about actually discovering truth and getting to know who we really are. And... I studied with him until my body actually started falling apart, and then he passed away. And so I was kind of on my own, and I think that is really when my sincere path started. You know, he prepared me well, but it was at that point when everything had just fallen away that I gave my all to the practice. Now, most people know very little about Buddhism, uh, its foundation, its core, if you will. I mean, they know of the Buddha. They've heard of, probably heard of Siddhartha. We have a cat we named Sid, Siddhartha. And, of course, that was a mistake. He's anything but the Buddha all the time. (laughs) But we love him just the same. No, No sarcasm or facetiousness there. And... Um, there are times when he is just the calmest, sweetest. He greets us at the door when we come home, sitting up on the counter in the kitchen, and uh, greets us there. And it's a wonderful thing. It really is. It's terrific that he is, uh, uh, you know, he is he is able to do that for us. We've had cats that have had. We've had cats that passed on that do the same way. Anyway, the pe- people know very little about Buddhism. Um, they know that maybe it's a pacifists philosophy. Um, I'm not sure that I care much for that, uh, that description per se, and I'm not saying that because I've read something that says something different, by no means. But I, I just think that it's another way 
for us to live. And it just seems to me like we could use another way to live. And I'll be honest with you, it wouldn't make any difference whether we were in the midst of a pandemic or not. We still need that. How did you first get introduced to Buddhism? And maybe backing that question up, where were you before you were introduced to Buddhism? Well, like I said, I had figured out kind of on my own that if I sat in silence, um, I'd feel better. And that kind of fueled a little bit of a search. So I first learned about Buddhism in college. And it's kind of funny because we watched this video in my philosophy class um, as our introduction to Buddhism. And it was this Japanese company where all the workers showed up and they sat down in their cubicles and then they were supposed to meditate. And they would all be sitting up straight and then it would be very early in the morning. And one of the workers would start to fall asleep and they'd fall forward and the supervisor would come by with a big stick and just whack him on the back. (laughs) Aren't you you talking about Catholic school? (laughs) Go ahead, continue. So that was my introduction to Buddhism and I was like, these people are nuts. Oh my goodness. It's like, I don't want anything to do with that. But as I started actually studying the philosophy, then it actually made a lot of sense to me. It was like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it, that it's all this suffering that's going on in the world, no matter how much we turn outward and try and fix this and try and fix that and try and fix the other thing, um, it's never ending. There's just more suffering pops up, and it's only when we turn within and actually adjust our own mind to see clearly that we find our way out of suffering. But the standard philosophy in America specifically is, but it's not me, it's them. (laughs) Uh, And it goes by another name, victimhood. Yeah. That is a tough, tough problem. Yeah. And what's really sad and again, I I have no intention of, of being or getting political here. But the last two election cycles have been nothing but victimhood campaigns. And it's like, don't you ever stop, you look around outside the, the, at the rest of the world and you go, enough already. And yet we both know that it isn't about changing the outer world until we change our inner world, right? Exactly. because. We all think that we're somebody, and if we latch on to an identity like a victim, then that's very relatable, so we get all this social support to get locked into that identity. But once we take that step back, once we start meditating, then all of those ideas start to melt away. We start to recognize that, oh, wait a minute, I'm more than that. I'm not just a victim. Maybe I'm also, you know, for in my example, a writer, a teacher, a um, podcast host. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we start to see that, oh, wait, we have all these other identities. We're a friend. We're, you know, a son or a daughter. And when we embrace those other selves, we find that we act a little bit different and that starts to free us up a little bit. And, but that victim mentality is so tempting because what's the fastest way to start a conversation with somebody, with a stranger is to complain about something. Yeah. I do love the response uh, that I heard many years ago when asking, uh, so how you doing? And the response came back, uh, well, I could complain, but nobody, nobody cares. Nobody does. And the reality is, yeah, unfortunately, every, a lot of people would care and a lot of people would listen. Um, talk to us about uh, this aspect of unreasonable joy, awakening through Trikaya Buddhism. I get that right? 
Yes. Okay. And it's Turaya? Is that how you pronounce your name? Turaya? No, Turia. It is Turia. Turia. Okay. I had it right the first time. Well, I saw the long line across the top of the eye, and I'm thinking, well, that always meant in spelling it was a long eye. But Turaya. Uh, uh, so, Turia, well, first of all, the source of the name? Um, well, again, that's a tricky question. <laughs> <laughs> I have these weird mystical experiences that I can't really explain, but I was, start, I, this was a while ago, and I was having these very deep meditations, and when I come out of the meditation, I'd hear this word, Turiya, and I'd never heard that word before, and I just, you know, a few days would go by, and then I'd hear it again, and I'd hear it again, hear it again, and this goes on for like a month. And I'm still not getting it. And it's just like, oh, that's an interesting word, you know. And, and I'm a writer, so I like to play with words. I'm like, I wonder what that means. And then one night I'm reading a book, this old philosophy book, and I come across the word Turiya. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. I get it now. That's, you know, and then it just hit me. It's like, oh, that's your, your spiritual name. Is there a meaning to it other than the description you've just given us? It means, in, it's a Sanskrit word, so the, the dash over the I actually turns it into an E. <laughs> ah, okay. In Sanskrit. Um, but it means the background upon which existence and non-existence appears. Wow. Or in Hinduism, uh, in one sense, the Maya. That isn't really here. This is all an illusion. I, I joke around and I, I often say to people, uh, yeah, Lewis Black, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's a comedian, a local comedian, or not a local comedian, he's a comedian. And he loves to elongate words, and one of them, uh, my favorite, is that this is all delusion. <laughs> and, and we're all living in a delusion. Uh, it's, just, it's, it's really, really fascinating. So let's dive into the this concept of um, uh, Trikaya Buddhism. What is different from, I don't know, ordinary Buddhism? Where does it come from? Well, I started teaching meditation it publicly. Um, you know, we've literally put a sign on the sidewalk out back in 1998. And back then, really, nobody knew what meditation was. Um, they kept wanting to say, do you mean massage? Like, no. <laughs> do you mean yoga? <laughs> you know, do you, should I bring my yoga mat? And I'm like, no, we just said it's Buddhist meditation. And then they'd be like, oh, okay. Still not quite getting it. But in the past 22 years, with so many teachers coming online on the Internet, um, Buddhism became more and more popular. Meditation is mainstream now. Everybody knows what mindfulness is. So mm -hmm. as people would come in and they'd say, well, what do you teach? And I'd say, Buddhist meditation. They'd say, well, what kind? And then trying to describe our particular blend of Buddhism uh, got to be a challenge. So we finally came up with this name, Trikaya. And Trikaya Buddhism is naked Buddhism. So it's stripped away of all the rituals, all the extras that have been added over the, the centuries to Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And we basically look at the practices and ask, does this work? And if it works, then we use it. Mm -hmm. Okay. What a, so, and if it doesn't work, guess what, folks? They don't use it. Right. right? Or we, well, I won't even say that because actually if it doesn't work, we put it on the shelf because what doesn't work today might work in 10 years. Sometimes we come across the technique or teaching and it's like, well, I'm not quite there yet. So we put it aside and then perhaps visit it later. Interesting. Well, it makes sense. And see, that's the thing we encourage people to do with this program. And we're always encouraging people to go to the website, go to the podcast, go to this place, that place, the other place. And 
we want them to take what resonates with them. If it doesn't resonate, leave it alone. But take what does resonate. And we ask you to come back. And um, I'm hoping people do that. I mean, this table is always there for you. And everything that we've presented is always there for you because we have the podcasts on the various locations. Now, of course, we're on YouTube. Uh, we now provide these programs on YouTube, the video. People can watch the program, including this program, uh, and glean from it as much as they possibly can. And um, I, I think one of the problems that we, as human beings, uh, is um, that when we lock into a philosophy, it's like you walk through the door and either the door is closed for you or by you to where this is it. This is all you get. Um, you know, some people, they, they say, I'm sorry, if it's not in this book, it's not, it's, it's not part of God. And there's only one way. And have you, have you run into folks like that uh, on occasion? Yes, I have. You know, I, I was stunned. I was actually on Facebook and a few different Buddhism, Buddhism groups. And I had no idea there was fundamentalist Buddhism. <laughs> and there are people hmm. who say exactly that. If it's not in the Pali Canon and you can't point to a scripture, then it's not Buddhism. And their interpretation of those scriptures are very, very narrow. Yeah. And Buddhism was never, I think, meant to be that way. It is this wonderful, simple path of just paying attention. What a concept. To pay, pay attention, you know? That's the whole path that I teach. So <laughs> it's just yeah. pay attention. And, you know, of course, there's different tools and techniques to get yourself to actually pay attention because sometimes it's intensely blissful and we're just blissing out and it's hard to be grounded. Other times it's intensely painful and we just want to run the other way. So yeah. we have tools and techniques to stay and pay attention. And so let's talk about some of those tools and or techniques. First of all, how does one get started in this, in this process of, of being more attentive, if you will, and grounded? Well, that's really easy. You just got to stop. You just have to stop and sit. And you can use different focal points. So the very beginning, we're just learning concentration. So if you want, you can just pick up a rock and focus on your rock. You can, you know, and the book has beautiful Tibetan Tonka art. You can pick one of those pictures and focus on that. The idea is just to get yourself to settle in in a comfortable seat. That's important. A lot of people try to torture themselves. They figure they have to sit cross-legged. And oh. they let their feet fall asleep, and then they wonder, <laughs> why can't I get myself to meditate? It's like, because your body knows you're torturing yourself. So get whatever chair is comfortable or cushioned so you can have your back nice and straight, and you want to sit up. Some people try to meditate laying down, and it doesn't really work because you'll fall asleep. You just enter a state of relaxation. Rather, you want to be alert and aware. And we start off just by focusing, just picking one focal point. It can be your breath. It can be music. Whatever you choose, just focus and hold your mind on that one point. Mm. And something amazing happens when you do that. It, like I said before, the, all these ideas we have about the world and ourselves literally start to melt when we key into just holding our mind still. Now, there's, there's a challenge, certainly, holding our mind still, but probably more 
importantly, at least from my perspective, in terms of trying to understand all of this, help me out with this one. I've heard it said that you want to make friends with your mind and almost have this conversation with your mind whenever a situation comes up where you want to basically do just that. Um, And that is the conversation goes something like this. Okay, I, I really need to meditate. And I would really appreciate your support. I'm not saying that you're not important. You are important. Um, but I need you to, if you could, if you would, just kind of be quiet for a little while. And then I'll come back. I will come back and we can spend some time together doing stuff. Whereas many, many uh, methods that I have heard have been to tell the mind to shut the hell up, go away, almost go away, okay? And um, it's, it's one of those things where you sit there and you go, wait a minute, what? Your mind is part of who you are, so don't you want to kind of work together? Because there could come a point where if you alienate your mind, and I'm not saying it's a separate entity from you, but that your mind could say, hey, you know, I'm not going to be ignored. I'm going to be listened to. I'm going to be heard. And you're going to listen to me right now. (laughs) Your thoughts. Yeah, your thoughts. Well, that's, in my experience, force doesn't work. You can't force yourself to meditate. So there's two different ways in that I teach. And that first one is just, Focusing on something and using it as an anchor. So the mind's going to kind of drift away and then you notice it's drifted away. So you come back to your focal point. Now, the other way is works really well for other, some people and really difficult for others. Um, and that is to just sit and let your thoughts run. Oh, okay. So you basically you step back as if you were sitting on a train looking out the window and you kind of just let it, let it go by. Right. Like, well, I would use the example of sitting at the train station. So the thoughts are coming in and they're going by and they're coming in and they're going by. And the trick is not to jump on any of the trains. Ah. So once you notice that you've jumped okay. onto a train and you go back to just sitting and watching. And okay. what happens eventually is because you're not feeding your attention to the thoughts, they run out of energy and they stop on their own. Oh. I mean, even though I do like my analogy better because I like sitting there on the train looking out the window watching that the is, world go by. <laughs> I do enjoy that too. I have to. Okay. <laughs> but I like your, your analogy is, is actually more to the point because you don't want to get on each of those trains because then you stop listening. Now. Speaking of listening, who or what are we listening to and or for? Um, well, there's no one there. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> well, when we talk about um, going within, we're, we also we talk about that time of meditation. Um, it's about listening to that still small voice, uh, as well as finding that place of peace and calm and tranquility to where we can recenter ourselves. Uh, now you said every time you came out of meditation early on, you would hear a voice say uh, your name, Korea. Korea, Korea, okay? Who or what was that saying that to you? As far as you know, and of course, only you, only you can define it. I can't. I can't tell you, well, that was actually the devil, and you need to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I suppose it was just a part of myself. Mm Mm-hmm. 
you know, part of um, mind reaching out with this doorway, you know, because that's what a name is, right? It's a doorway into a, a consciousness or an awareness. But okay. it, gets, it gets tricky when we meditate because if we're looking for somebody to listen to, if we're mm-hmm. looking for someone, then we miss it. We miss the, the, the silence. Um, so there's a, a reservoir, I guess you could call it, of just purity. And when mm-hmm. we completely let go and surrender in meditation, we, we become that, that silence. And as we rise out of it and we come back to dualistic consciousness, there's spontaneous activity that happens. It's not that um, you have this coach sitting there telling you, do this, do that, do the other thing. Right. I think that happens in stages, like we go through that stage where we could call it our higher mind or a higher self um, Mm -hmm. that has a better view than maybe our, our lower self that's just selfish and clinging to our fears. Um, so it's good to listen to that part of ourselves, but I'm suggesting that there's, you can go further, that there, there's more past that, that, even past the witness. We're talking with uh, Turiya, and she is the author of this latest work called Unreasonable Joy, and I think I'm starting to, I'm beginning to understand just exactly what you mean by that, because sometimes um, we need to get into that unreasonable joy, especially when the, the world outside is uh, knocking at our door saying, we want in because we want to disrupt the world. We want to encourage people to um, uh, go to your website. And I, so I need for you to give us that website so that people can continue, as we say, their evolutionary process, their transformational process. Maybe get in contact with you. Maybe you can teach them a little bit about some of these techniques that you talk about in the book as well. Where would we send them? So I actually have two websites. I have TuriaBliss.com, and that's my blog site. It's got information about my book. And then I have DharmaCenter.com, which is our teaching center. So you can get in touch with me through Dharma Center. You can sit with me on set most Saturdays. Um, and then we also have our members archive. If you become a Dharma Center member, then you can actually get access to my past Dharma talks. Um, so if none of the class times work or you just prefer to start off studying on your own, you can get into the members archive and listen, listen to some past classes. To me, this is, this is all not only fascinating, but this is so important. It just seems like we have a direction that we can go, but we get distracted constantly. And it just seems like what you're offering is a way to not avoid the distractions, but to at least for the time being, to sort of put them off, right? They'll probably come up again when you return from your meditation, but, you know, that's okay. Because now, after you're, you've meditated, after you've spent time within, after you have listened to that still, small voice, um, and the more you listen to it and follow it, the more often you won't allow yourself to be distracted. You know, I found that, and I've, I've used this example many times. I used to live in Phoenix, Arizona. And I worked about eight, six or eight miles from the transmitter site where we broadcast from. And I bicycled everywhere I went at that time. So I'm bicycling along the same road. I would go every day back and forth, back and forth, the eight miles. All of a sudden, I'm getting this prompting. I need you, you need to turn right at the next corner. You need to turn right at the next corner. I'm going, uh-huh, sure. It's going to take me three miles out of my way. So I went right past that intersection. I continued on for another half mile. The prompting got stronger 
and stronger and stronger. Now, it was always my choice. I was not being coerced or threatened. I was being prompted. Finally, half a mile past that intersection, I'm going, I, I don't know, but I got to turn around. It just didn't feel right not to. So I turned around. And I made the left turn in this case. And then I went up to the next street. And, of course, I was to make another left. Now, this was in farm fields. These farm fields were my one mile square. Okay? So that's why it added three miles. So I went up the mile. I turned left, went across a mile. I turned left again, went down a mile, back to the same road I was on that I would have been to in maybe five or three minutes had I stayed on the road in the first place. Then I continued on to the station. And I kind of thought, okay, all right, I did that. But why? Why did I do that? What did I avoid? Okay, what, what something else did I set in motion? You know, I'm a firm believer in coincidences and synchronicity. What, you know, the butterfly flapped its wings. Okay, what in the world changed? Okay, that kind of thing. And I come to the realization it wasn't about me being safe or, or anything. It was about trusting that prompting, that voice that I have always referred to as my friend. And I believe that that still small voice, this is what I'm talking about in terms of listening to that voice, will never put you in harm's way. It may challenge you like it did me that time, like oh, three more miles. But it will never put you in harm's way. It's there for your benefit, not your detriment. Can you talk to us a little bit about that in light of what I've already kind of shared to uh, with our listeners in that regard? Well, we're not just physical beings. We have this whole energetic structure and our energy body or our subtle physical body is everywhere all at once. So there's a part of us when we're going somewhere who's already been to where we're going. And that can feed back information. Like in your case, there might have been a drunk driver swerving all over the street. There might have been. You know, who knows? Yeah. Um, something, some kind of danger. And the energy body sees that and says, hey, we need to go around. We need to go this way. So it's so important to, to learn how to trust ourselves and to listen. Because that part of ourselves has already been, been there. And it can really guide us to the bright and beautiful things that we want to experience if we just listen. So it's, and we get in touch with that ability through practice, through meditation, through mindfulness, through being fully present and paying attention. Mm. Yeah. And it seems to me that that's exceedingly important these days. Again, as I said before, whether you've got the pandemic or not, uh, there are a lot of other things going on in the world that we get distracted by. Uh, and also, these, you know, there are times when you know, we feel like, I need to do something. I, I, you know, I need to go out and I need to change the world. And again, it always comes back to that same saying, be the change you want to see. What are some of the... If, if you, I, I, again, I don't know if you've memorized any of these or you live by these philosophies or not. Are there any phrases, sayings, quotes from the Buddha, from Buddhism, that come up fairly regularly for you that help to keep you on track? Well, one of mine is just trust yourself. So that is probably the, the most powerful one, and to just pay attention. Like I said, those are the, probably the ones that I live by. And when we kind of get lost out in the world and distracted, 
if we can remember just to pay attention to our own mind and see where we're at and how we're relating to the world, then suddenly we have a choice. Mm. When we kind of stop ourselves and settle into that, that still silence, that joy bubbles up. And when we embrace our unreasonable joy, everything is easier. You know, like our technical difficulties that we had this morning. You know, if we, either one of us came here with that filled with anger or frustration or um, anxiety, then that would have been a nightmare. But because we were both happy, everything gets worked out. And I don't think people put enough stock in being happy. They think that it's something extra. It's something that um, we get as a reward. And Mm -hmm. that has been such a detriment to our world. Because when we're angry and upset and in pain, we make bad decisions. (laughs) Oh, really? That's that's surprising. Why would we do that? Because we're distracted by the pain. Um, And you, you've had your own pain. In your life. Do you have that same pain today? It's not the same. It's changed. Um, But I went through a very long, long struggle. Uh, Back in 1997, 98, my body started collapsing. And I went to doctor after doctor after doctor. No answers. No explanations. Uh, I think 14 doctors later, they diagnosed me with fibromyalgia, but nobody knew what that was. And as I learned more about it, I still had all these symptoms that didn't match. So um, like my shoulder would get frozen. I couldn't move my arm. My jaw would swell up. So I'd have like a big golf ball on the side of my face. And, um, and they, I just, like I said, kept going to doctors and different body workers, no answers. and. I would have, you know, ups and downs. Um, I actually wrote a book called Peace with Pain because that was what I finally learned was just to Mm -hmm. find peace in the midst of this pain that at the time I figured, okay, this is just life. This is how my body is. It's going to be this way forever. And then in, I think it was 2015, so a good, you know, 20 years of living that and just accepting this is what my life is. my students talked me into getting a smartphone because we wanted to be able to take credit cards. <laughs> at our... <laughs> and my smartphone had um, this health app. So I was playing with the health app and I found it had an oximeter on it, a thing that measures your oxygen. Uh-huh. And as I was having one of these episodes where I was just collapsing, I was like, I wonder. And so I checked my oxygen levels and it was dropping down into the 60s and 70s. Where is it supposed to be? It's supposed to be over 95. Okay. So it should be between 95 and 100%. So I was ah. down to the 60, 70% oxygen. And so that started a whole new odyssey through different doctors. And I would try and show them, say, this is happening. And, of course, they don't want to believe a smartphone. And, and when it finally happened at my rheumatologist's office, um, I was like, can you just, you know, humor me and leave me on the, the oxygen meter as we're having our <laughs> visit, you know, and, and the nurse got really upset and said, I checked it already. I'm like, no, no, just, just humor me. Let, let's leave it on. And as we're talking, um, I was just sitting there doing nothing and it just dropped. And my doctor's face was like, oh, that's so weird. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> so. <laughs> So she insisted I go to cardiology, who then sent me to the lung doctors, who sent me to, you know, another doctor, and they all decided, well, we can't figure it out. We don't know what it is. Must be your medication. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Thanks a lot. And so I went to yet another doctor, and a couple years later, she insisted I see a different cardiologist. And by this time, I had bought a real oximeter. And I was taking pictures and videos of it every time it dropped. And uh, 
I went to see him and he's like, so what do you, what are you here for? And I had just had two back-to-back episodes while I was waiting for him. So I had it on my phone and I couldn't even talk because, you know, when you have oxygen deprivation, your mind kind of gets a little fuzzy. Mm-hmm. And so I just showed him my phone. I'm like, because of this. And I showed it to him and his eyes lit up and he's like, I know exactly what you have. You have yeah. um, platypnea de ortho, no, platypnea orthodeoxia. And I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, it's, 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 it's so common. Exactly. I'm like, I can't pronounce that. So he ran across the hall and came back with a paper he had written. And he's like, you're number seven of the people I've found that have this. And it turned out that I had a, um, they call it a PFO, it's a little flap in your heart. And I was born with this. But for some reason, it would get stuck open, so the unoxygenated blood would cross over. And so none of my muscles or my brain <laughs> were getting oxygen like it should. And then it would close, and then all the readings would be fine. Wow. So that turned out to be the underlying cause for, for my issues. So I had surgery in. Let me see, 2018, March of 2018. Um, they went in through my leg. It wasn't like refilled my chest or anything, but they went through a vein in my leg and they put a little patch. It looks like a little butterfly. I have a little butterfly in my chest um, <laughs> to close up that hole. And since then, I still have low blood pressure. I still have um, chronic pain in my muscles because there's a lot of scar tissue. Apparently, if you're not getting oxygen in your muscles and you try and work them, mm. It creates scar tissue. So I'm still dealing with all the, the effects from that, but it's, it's better. It's, so. Yeah. Well, one, that's incredible. That really is. Yeah, I know that uh, they put an oximeter on your finger when you go in for certain tests or you're in the hospital for procedures or whatever. You know, you know that thing that just kind of clamps down on your finger. And I'm going, I don't know how the hell that measures, but it does. My wife is in, uh, in the cardiology a department at uh, the local clinic here, Sensen Clinic. She's been in this business for almost 50 years. Uh, she's not a cardiologist, but she has been working with cardiologists that long, and she probably has as much, if not more, knowledge than some of the cardiologists. She just doesn't do surgery. And so when she sees an EKG or she sees a person exhibiting certain symptoms, she uh, she knows exactly what's going on. And um, so it, to me, it, it's, just, it's just fascinating uh, that, Something so, I don't want to say obscure, but uh, that you had never thought of before, i.e. the phone app. Uh, and again, think of the synchronicity. Now, granted, you're still suffering with the after effects and, and so forth from, as you mentioned, the scar tissue. But as you say, it's much less. And that, to me, that speaks volumes of the way the universe works. Now, I'm curious, in Buddhism, are you taught at all to find a way to, um, well, how do I put this, to adjust to the way things are or just maybe take the position of, hey, this is just the way things are. That's not to say that you don't try to find answers. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but you're not running like a chicken with his head cut off, trying to find answers. With me, for example, in 1995, um, prior to that, I was trying to get a driver's license to just to ride a moped. They don't go that fast. And at the time, I was legally blind, and they wouldn't give me one. So I basically acquiesced as, okay, you know what? I'm just going to stop this. I'm not going to go after. If I'm bicycling at the age of 65, fine. That'd be great. I'll be healthy. I'll actually, it'd be great. No problem, right? And then a year later, boom, technology catches up with me and I get a lens implant. Now I'm driving a truck. But I basically surrendered to the conditions. Isn't that sort of what Buddhism teaches? But in your case, wouldn't it be difficult to do, especially if you're suffering from chronic pain? But what Buddhism teaches us is to look at what is. 
Mm-hmm. So when we're fully conscious of what is, and our mind isn't creating stories about what is, it's mm-hmm. not drowning in its fear about what is, but instead we confront the reality of what actually is happening. When we do that with our full awareness, we see options. We see what we can do and what we can't do. So in my case, you know, I did hit that wall where, okay, I've done everything I possibly can do. I went to all the doctors. I've tried all the diets. I tried all the supplements. I tried all the medications. And it just became, okay, I've tried everything. So let's just stay with what is and accept this is my life. And then things change. The life yeah. doesn't stay the same. Things change. So the, the phone app entered my world. <laughs> and it was like, oh. And then now there was a new element of what is. I could prove that, okay, yes, there is something weird happening with my oxygen levels. And that do became... You, do you think that by the virtue of our acceptance of what is... It's still the equivalent, and again, this is our thoughts. It's still the equivalent of the butterfly wings changing the world. And that, let's just say, you hadn't accepted the what is. You might still today be in that pain. And who's to say, maybe the app never would have come along because the butterfly wings hadn't been flapped. And now you got a butterfly in your chest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's certainly a lot more suffering when we're resisting what is. We're just caught in that loop of suffering. And that's really what Buddhism addresses, is the suffering. You know, with whatever is going on. It seems to me that, that when you accept what is, it's like there's a certain flow of energy through life. When you're, when you're unaccepting, you are blocking the flow. And when you become accepting, the flow returns and things, things sometimes people just, oh, it just happened. I, I don't know why, but it just happened. It, it seems to me to be the dynamic. Uh, I, I don't know if physics or quantum physics can describe or explain it. But it just seems to me that that's, that's, you know, we put resistance in an electrical cord and whatever it is we're trying to power doesn't get the power it needs. We remove the resistance and boom. So maybe, maybe that's a good example and maybe they do know that. <laughs> yeah, that is an excellent example, actually, because resistance is pain. You know, that's uh-huh. something I learned. Um, Pain and suffering. Very very deeply when I was dealing with, um, in the thick of dealing with chronic pain, is the more I resisted, the more I fought, the more I try and push through, um, the the more intense the pain and suffering became. But as you said, once you remove that resistance and you're no longer boxing yourself into, um, no, this is how it should be, Right, we, we resist and we build this little imaginary, illusory world of this is how it should be, and we completely miss what actually is. But once we accept, then it's like magic. You know, everything opens up. Yeah, I just it, 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 you know, it's one of those things where I have. Uh, experienced uh, multiple wildfires. Oh, my goodness. We have cat in the room. <laughs> yeah, you can hear my cat. I can hear you. What's your cat's name? That is Tessa. She has taken to meowing in the morning. Ah, we have a beautiful uh, tuxedo. Now, that sounded like two. No, she, that was her pushing the door open. Oh, <laughs> sweet <laughs> We have a cat named Tessa, uh, Tess. Um, oh, my kitty thing. And she is, a, uh, she is a tuxedo kitty. And just the loveliest thing. 
But she and the other female cat, whose name is Kit Kat, she's a dark gray all over, head to tail. Beautiful. Little, just a little on the feral side, I think. But uh, they get along. They spend all their time together for the most part when the three male cats, who are bigger, um, are out and about. And it's funny when our dog is roaming the house and she's sitting on the, the arm of the overstuffed chair where they tend to reside in the corner. Um, he'll come over and sometimes he'll lick her and then she'll lick him. I, it, and then other times, and it's just their instinct, when she's racing around the house trying to get to the cat box or the food, he chases her. <laughs> but we have learned two things. One is that he does that because she is prey to him when she runs so fast. That's just instinct. She's not gonna, he's not going to hurt her, even if he fought her, but he'll never catch her. The other thing is we also think that it's a game they play for our benefit they're showing us. They're showing off. Oh. And that's why they do it, because we have a camera at home, and we're able to tap in during the day and see what's going on, and usually they're all just laying around sleeping, and sometimes they're sleeping close to each other. So we know there's a little game going on there, but that's the way it is. Animals are a very, very good example of what is. Our dog just went through a, a, a very painful uh, few days where we believe he strained his neck. And so every time he would turn, he would cry. Oh. And I got him to lie down on the floor with his head on his blanket, and he laid there and slept for, I don't know, an hour or two. And I was there on the floor with him just trying to keep him calm. I said, okay, he's sleeping now. I'm going to get back in the bed. As soon as I started getting up, he raised his head and he cried for like 20 or 30 seconds. And, and, and it was kind of like, okay, we've got to figure out what to do. We did, finally. He's gotten the rest he needs. He's now fine. He's good. Um, but he's not living in the wind, uh, in, in the past. He's not living in that pain that was. Yeah. He's living in the pain-free that is, if you will, or the normal that is. And he talks. He groans a lot, especially when he's laying on the floor. He talks in high pitch, uh, in high pitches, if you will, like a monkey. So we actually referred to him when he was a puppy as a monkey, and he's still doing that. It's 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 great. But it seems to me nature, and I've said this many times. Please expound on this if you would. I think nature is our greatest teacher. Well, yeah, life is our teacher. If we can just stop and pay attention, um, you know, nothing rushes in nature. It just goes at its own pace. A flower is going to bloom when it's going to bloom. It doesn't, like, try and force its petals open. It just happens. Um, and I, just, I love the example that you gave of the, the animals, you know. Um, they just know what is right now, and that's all mm -hmm. that matters to them. Mm -hmm. And they just stay fully present. And it's such, it's so true that how people get caught up in the fear of future pain, or they get hung up on the memory of past pain. Yeah. And we just spin between the two. And boy, we can get spinning pretty good. Oh, yeah. And, it, and it's so it's so horrific when we do that to ourselves. And then there's the second horror that comes when we realize I've been doing that to myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're do we've been doing it to ourselves. And then we realize we've been doing it to ourselves. And sometimes we're so caught up in the pattern that we, we don't stop doing it to ourselves until something else comes along to sort of replace it. And if we can replace it with something that will be positive and beneficial for us by getting that flow going again, um, boy, what a world, what a world we can create for ourselves and others. Right. Uh, before we wrap things up, tell us about the Dharma Center. So Dharma Center, it's in San Diego in a little beach town called Ocean Beach. And 
it's just this little place. It's beautiful. We've used it only for meditation for the past 22 years. So the room is very, very nice. And I'm so looking forward to the pandemic being over so we can invite everybody in. But in the meantime, what we've done is we've moved all the classes online. So mm -hmm. people can go to dharmacenter.com and just click on the learn to meditate and go find the class time and click on there and come on in. And our tuitions all pay what you wish. So we want to make it open to everybody. Um, and we have seven different teachers right now. So you get a little bit of a different perspective. We all teach from our own experience. You know, we're not teaching from a book. I know I, I wrote a book, but <laughs> <laughs> that came out of the teaching experiences, not the other right. way around. Right. Uh, so everybody, you know, all of my students, I encourage them, you know, teach what you know. Share mm -hmm. your real experiences. You know, that we have a, um, a hashtag that I use is be real, be bliss. Because oh, when we're yeah. real with ourselves, um, that joy just bubbles up, you know, when we're being real. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something lacking in a lot of spiritual communities is people come in with this idea of how they should be, you know, and I don't want to know how you think you should be. I want to know who you really are today because mm -hmm. that is the point where we can actually find something to work on together. Well, I have to say that uh, this has been an, an extraordinary hour spent with you. Um, started out, uh, actually it is, started out kind of fun. And it's and it's ending kind of fun too. Uh, you know, it's, there's been no change here. Uh, the fun has risen, as it were. Uh, and I've really enjoyed talking with you and uh, sharing the uh, the ideas, the philosophies of Buddhism. And we encourage people to go to your websites. We'll be linked to TeriaBliss.com so that people can, uh, and I'm sure they can get to the Dharma, the Dharma Center website from there uh, to find out more, as well as get a copy of her book, Unreasonable Joy: Awakening Through. Uh, Trikaya Buddhism. I, for some reason, Trikaya, I, I get a little stuck on, but we move on through. Keep the flow going. Uh, I thank you so much for giving us so much time. Really appreciate it, and uh, hope to have you back again in the not-too-distant future to talk more uh, about uh, the work that you are doing, and maybe if, if it's even measurable, the results that you are getting as, as you move through what you're moving through uh, in your life and in the lives of the people around you. I think it would be interesting to talk more about that as well, especially as the pandemic rolls on and it'll eventually be over. It just seems like it's taking a long time, but you know what? When it is over, we're going to look back and oh, it's just a blip. It's just a blip. No big deal. You know? Yeah, I'm feeling so about you. another year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and that's okay. By the way, isn't that interesting how um, with this whole situation, uh, the level of creativity that's come out of people to, to do the things that they're now doing. I wasn't doing video editing before the pandemic. And now, because everything's on Zoom, I'm doing video editing. For my program, for Zoom theater, uh, readings with friends is what it's called. Uh, and, um, you know, and we put on presentations every month. And some of them are live. And some of them are recorded. And I do the editing and so forth. You know, after 41 years in the business, now I'm doing video editing. Okay, I'll take it. So it's great fun. But again, I thank you so much. I do have three final questions for you before we go, but I want to remind our listeners that um, in addition to this programming being on, on 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. on Sundays and 1 a.m. Monday mornings on this fine station, we also have podcasts at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations. We also want you to go to um to find out more about her and the work she is doing as well as get a copy of unreasonable joy we also ask that if you can help us out financially we would greatly appreciate it uh, that's why we have a paypal account for your security as well as ours and please get involved during the decade of the 2020s the decade of perfect vision spend that time meditating even if it's just five minutes a day because maybe that'll then lengthen to 10 and then 15 
or maybe it'll only go 10 and 11 and 12, but what doesn't matter. Whatever time you spend meditating is worth it. And who knows? Who knows? Maybe you'll hear that little voice at the end of your meditation and your name and your life's purpose will be focused and change and you'll be doing stuff you never thought you could do. All right, my final three questions are number one. Who is Turiya? Well, I'm really no one. <laughs> but we all play roles, right? We all have a role to play. And right now I'm playing the role of author of Unreasonable Joy and teacher, meditation teacher at Dharma Center in San Diego and online. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Well, I want people to recognize their unreasonable joy. So because when we're happy, and I'm talking about truly happy, um, we're kinder, we're more compassionate, and we're able to find more equitable solutions to every problem that we face. So I really, really want people to be happy. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Well, at least for me, my life's purpose has changed over time. And so now what I try to do, instead of hunting down my purpose, is I try to live on purpose. So what that means is just to bring my full attention and awareness to everything I do, whether it's, you know, making a cup of tea, or writing a book, just being there fully. Well, again, Taria, thank you so much for joining us and sharing with us unreasonable joy. I think it's very reasonable that we find our unreasonable joy. And again, I thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm Richard Dugan, and I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast, love to love.